Hi there. You're listening to the Finnish Education Perspectives podcast. I'm Melissa Giorgio coming to you from Finland, renowned for its world-class education system and high well-being rankings. In this podcast, we have conversations about Finnish education perspectives to tantalize your brain cells and hopefully your classroom and leadership practice. I'm bringing you this podcast on behalf of EduTen, the number one math learning platform from Finland that combines Finnish educational excellence with gamification and AI. If you would like to use it in your school, look for the links below this podcast. But for now, let's dive into today's episode. Today's guest is Dr. Laura Tuhilampi. She is a mathematics education researcher, an in-service teacher trainer, and the founder of Math Hunger. She's been awarded the Leader of the Future Award for her work in making mathematics learning more inclusive. Her PhD was awarded the Best Didactical Thesis of the Year Award. Her research focuses on catching and maintaining students' interest. In 2007, Laura published the Finnish version of the book entitled Math Hunger. That book led to a global movement to make mathematics mainstream, or in other words, an enjoyable activity for all of us. At the moment, she works as a research fellow at the University of New South Wales, Sydney. Dr. Laura, welcome, and thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. How are you feeling? Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for inviting me to this lovely podcast. I'm feeling good. How are you? Yes, yes, fine. We've switched positions. You're in Sydney and I'm here in Finland. Um, So I'd like you to, we'll just get started, and I'd like you to tell me about what led you to Sydney. Like, could you tell us about your mathematical journey thus far? So it's almost like two journeys starting uh, as a mathematics teacher and becoming this like like an international mathematics teacher education influencer but also the journey that starts from Finland and ends up at least for now here in Sydney I just got a, a permanent position here in UNSW uh, a few weeks ago so now I'm here permanently at least for now um, but it started as um, maybe it started as a mathematics student. I was really interested in science and mathematics as a kid in Finland, and to me it wasn't a problem to study mathematics in a really traditional way. But it turns out that <laughs> that I am not like most people, so the majority of students actually struggle a lot in finding significance and and maybe doing the hard work and and in sort of like adapting that in their lives. So I started maybe like challenging how we teach mathematics. And to me, it was also really easy to see that we could do that in you know, alternative ways as well. And it's not difficult to make people fall in love with mathematics because we all love to use our brains and challenge our thinking. So that's not difficult, but for some reason or for many reasons that hasn't been done in school. So we still sort of like use those dominating uh, typical traditional practices. Uh, so, uh, like you almost described, I started this uh, little revolution in Finland and I got invited in other universities and started doing my PhD and all that. And it wasn't that easy, like it, it didn't start like that, uh, like it took a few years without like having any impact or any audience. But then like little by little, there were like more and more people seeing the value of the work. And and then like when why why Australia came in the picture was because uh, I was traveling in conferences and and met new people and I was invited 
to participate in a research project in Melbourne University. So that started my sort of like back and forth traveling between these two countries. And, and because of that, I, I also learned about this job opportunity. So I came here almost two years ago and been here ever since. Mm, okay. Um, I found it really interesting that when you were describing your journey, your mathematics journey, you um, talked about yourself finding mathematics quite, well, let's say easy. It was it was a subject that came perhaps naturally to you, but you're able to recognise or you were able to recognise that that doesn't happen for everybody and you started looking at solutions to that. So I think that you are a really unique person. I love the way you said you're not like most people and you're not because I think many people, particularly in the academic world, um, probably don't have that easy recognition that Um, people might actually be struggling with these things. So I love the way that you are making it more inclusive by making mathematics more human and easy for other people. And I think about my own mathematics journey, and I think I've spoken about it in this podcast before, but I struggled with maths during high school, uh, so much so that my maths teacher told me to go out and become a hairdresser instead of somebody involved in education because you know, maths was so far beyond me. And by the way, for anybody listening, I went out and became a teacher and I'm still waiting to bump into him. But the point is, there is that sometimes distance between people who know a subject really well and people who are new to it or struggling with it and so on and so forth. So thank you for doing that work. It's really, really, really important. And it makes people who are quite vulnerable in certain subjects feel a little bit more confident. So exactly, and if I can add to that, if I can add to that, so like it was funny that you mentioned like hairdressing and like becoming a hairdresser. I did happen to I actually made an interview with my hairdresser in Finland because every time I speak to people, I start you know talking about my mathematics journey, and then people. People start to, you know, maybe giving those uh, old-fashioned perspectives, like, yeah, I wasn't ever a maths person and things like that. And then we start talking, and it turns out that we all use mathematics all the time. So, like, while I was, like, sitting in my, like, getting my hair done and all that, we actually had so many conversations about the mathematics that she was using every day. Like, it wasn't just one thing. It's, it's definitely not just, you know, counting things or, like, numeracy skills or, or stuff like that, but also, like, categorizing, like, you using uh, maybe like balancing and like with hairdressing, I can't remember all the things that we sort of found in that interview, but I think there is like gap, like almost like a two-way gap. Like those that can mathematics really well cannot really see and cannot really sort of like introduce those connections to people that are not, um, that maybe see mathematics in a more everyday like everyday like Mm -hmm. and and the ones that are not that sort of like capable in all those abstractions just like that they might seem that the the mathematics that they are using that sort of like natural logical thinking reasoning and categorizing all that 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 it wouldn't be mathematics at all because that's Mm -hmm. not recognized in mathematics classes yeah totally and I'll tell you what I know for sure that I want my hairdresser to understand mathematics otherwise I would have no hair left on my head when they're mixing that bleach with the you know the ammonia with the color my goodness so yeah exactly and that's the point point. and I think that 
it's a really good point just for educators and um, leaders in general that when you talk about inclusivity in any subject or in life in general, it, it involves um, respect. And that's the, the key here. And I think that actually, you know, my old maths teacher, if you're listening, I think he was trying to be disrespectful by saying, oh, go out and become a hairdresser. And, yeah, that is the opposite of what we're trying to do here because really it doesn't um, help anybody. So you mentioned in, oh, I mentioned in the introduction about your PhD in mathematics, which is, you know, pretty amazing and, and that you... Um, want to make math learning more inclusive. Um, could you tell us more about your main findings from your PhD and, and how you're using it? Sure. There were a few theoretical findings as well, which I'm not going to bore our audience with. Uh, but uh, maybe the main finding that I have been trying to communicate ever since that was published is the idea of dedicating one lesson per month for, for like open problem solving, student centers, activities, and so on. And as educators, we talk about those things and those sort of like aspects of teaching a lot. Like every, like even today, when I was preparing for my next mathematics course and I opened a mathematics book, uh, like the student centeredness and open problems are stated everywhere but once you take a look at the activities they are not like it's it's almost like a hollow word like it's just stated somewhere but you can't see it in practice that it's 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 not that common it's not dominating anything it's not even sometimes it's not even there so um i think it was really a nice finding to see that we can actually keep our traditional mathematics lessons almost as they are we don't have to you tweak everything and make everything super fascinating and new and open, but we can just keep like dedicate one proportion, a small proportion of our lessons to different kind of activities so that there's a little bit of a balance. Like when we work out, we, we are not just like doing one thing. We are not just drilling like one muscle, but we are having like some stretching and meditating maybe even, or like warm ups and heat and all that. So so there's got to be some balance. Yeah, and that's really interesting that, you know, you you as a, a PhD of mathematics found that there is even a disconnect in the textbooks that our students might be opening. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Now, you were talking a little bit about this balance between um, doing the maths and sort of making it fun, and I think this is a really interesting topic because... Uh, as you know, I work in Eduten, and Eduten supplies kind of a gamified learning platform, but the coders and the we have a couple of PhDs in the company as well, they don't pretend that maths is always fun and they're not actually trying to make it fun as such. And I read something that you... Um, I think it was in one of your blogs or videos and you talked about filling out something like a tax form and I loved this analogy that you can't put a couple of cute characters on a tax form and call filling out the form fun because it's not and there's another disconnect with what's happening um, these days with, math, with all subjects actually, this kind of edutainment that people think need to happen to keep children um, engaged 
So can you talk a little bit more about that or your thoughts about that? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Uh, what you are doing with EduZen, like without knowing all the details, but it's more about like giving feedback. And that's a, yeah, that's one factor of making it more maybe meaningful or nicer, sort of like you know where, you, where you're going and you get sort of like the feeling of of completing something and, and moving on. So that's that appeals to your emotions that's like a positive experience but like said like it's like sometimes it might even harm uh like this the learning process if we are doing something that is actually really difficult or requires a lot of like work or struggle and it's a bit tedious and you, you really it's a cognitive challenge so you don't need that to be sort of like distracted with something like hey there's gonna be a clown here or like a, a funny character or something so um our recent research project, we have been elaborating more of these sort of like two different, um, like maybe phases or aspects of um, getting students interested and maybe like, to, like if you like engaged with the activity or activated in the activity, uh, something that draws them in, something that appeals to them. And that could be something that is fun or entertaining, or it could be a joke, it could be a surprise, or like a really colorful platform or whatever. But once you're in that activity, there's got to be something that actually sort of like sustains your interest. So it doesn't happen just because it was like funny at the beginning, or maybe there was like, like a nice color. But it has to be something that actually challenges you. It has to be something that you yourself find meaningful. So oftentimes it helps if you just, you know, work with your uh, with your peer, with your friends, or maybe there's like something so triggering that your brain's just, you know, can't let it go. So it's usually it's something like that. And in that stage, students, they don't really need that sort of like external entertainment. The actual activity has to be uh, like meaningful and in, in interesting enough so that they find it worse continuing. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I totally get that. So is that where math hunger came along? And 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 what what does math hunger help teachers with? So it's a two-part question there. Math hunger started uh, as a almost like a side um, product of my PhD because I had so much practical information that I couldn't put my theoretical fantasy PhD <laughs> study. So I wanted to put that somewhere else. And that's why I uh, uh, wrote the Math Hunger book that is actually going to be in, available in English next year. Um, but uh, it has been evolving ever since. And like there's been lots of development. So it started more... Maybe it started by me just, you know, um, introducing and explaining some aspects of affective development, things like emotions and self-confidence and identities in mathematics. But then, he, uh, like, after that, it has become like a full all-inclusive program that also develops, develops connected learning and also gives like specific teacher skills to teachers because it's not enough that we know how students might be uh, able to develop more positive attitude towards mathematics and maybe more connected learning, maybe deeper understanding. If the teachers find those uh, practices a little bit unfamiliar or like, I don't know, weird or difficult to integrate in their 
usual practices. So that's why we've included even that part. <laughs> like, what, what what would you do? What can you do as a teacher every week to develop your professional skills so that you can apply these uh, whatever like little aspects into your teaching or integrate it in those aspects in your teaching more easily? Yeah, so it's an all-in-one package. So then could you bring think of anything from the top of your mind that would be an example of that, of how um, what you've written there in Math Hunger, for instance, would help a primary school teacher uh, deliver their monthly Math Hunger lesson? Yeah, I think one of the, uh, like a good example of a thing that is really important in math classrooms, uh, happens like in all classrooms from year one to year 12, uh, is that like as a teacher, you, you, you you probably not you can't it's just simply impossible that you would see all the aspects and all the outcomes and everything because you have your own uh, sort of like problems to worry about and you need to get that content through and all that so that's understandable so like as a teacher you are not supposed to even you know spend lots of time or maybe your evenings you know reading research and, and research articles and stuff like that so um then we can sort of like curate that information to teachers. And to give you one example, there, there was this really interesting research project uh, that was addressing listening, like different types of listening in classrooms. And it turned out that uh, the most common type of listening as a teacher, whether it's like primary school teacher or secondary school teacher, is evaluative listening. So the main purpose of that listening is to um, sort of like assess whether the the whatever like reasoning or answers that your students give are correct or not. And then the sort of the response that you give to those the students is correcting their thinking. And it's not always that empowering. Uh, it doesn't really develop that much of agency. And there are like alternative types of listening as well and like a variety of different listenings. Uh, but it's difficult to sort of like maybe be um uh, how to say that, like sensitive, those like different ways, if you haven't ever even heard about them. So you can use different types as well and, and maybe like elicit your students' um, uh, own elaboration of why they say something like that. Is it, is it something like if they say something incorrect, like would that actually ap ap um, uh, apply or like would that be that work in some situation and in, if that if if so like why would that be and that develops much more their logical thinking and reasoning skills and also creates the feeling that there was nothing wrong with my thinking and especially I am able to develop my thinking it's not just you know correct or like wrong or right and that's it and let's move on so there are like lots of things that we can develop much more and it becomes way more um how to say that, uh, like richer, the whole interaction. But as a teacher, it's impossible. It's it, we just we we simply cannot, you know, be aware of all these things. Mm. So this is a this is one example. So every week we give like a tiny little piece of information uh, to help teachers to uh, enrich their teaching. Mm. And I love that tip because it's a good tip to remember for teachers and parents about that listening. I didn't even know it had a, um, a label, evaluative, evaluative listening. And all I can hear that is that type of listening would really create rapport because I'm thinking about when, yeah, you have this right or wrong approach, um, then to see the person that's um, 
facilitating that information stand, you know, in the classroom and say, hmm, well, let me think about that. Yes, that might work in this way. Oh, but could you give us another example of this to sort of keep drawing it out? Because as I always say, teaching is really about relationships. Like all of the stuff you learn, it's good, but all of that stuff will come from having a good relationship with the person that's imparting the information or facilitating the learning. So, yeah, I love that, evaluative, evaluative listening. I can't say the word. I can't say the word. I get the concept. But, I, but Melissa, I also love how you just like that applied that uh, sort of like um, whatever, like information and you just... I don't know, like practiced a different way of responding to students. <laughs> like exactly, that's the way of, of making your whole class constructing knowledge together. Like let's see where this would you know work and, and why and so on. Yeah, thank so you. That was like an excellent yes. adaptation yes. to that. Now, before you've said that um, I've read somewhere again on one of your blogs that you talk about fun maths being a serious topic. Could you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, basically what I already sort of like addressed and mentioned, uh, we, we tend to think that it's 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 an easy thing to do. Like it's just, you know, like you mentioned, uh, like the, uh, the funny characters and, and things like that. But uh, I think we are losing something and it's not just me thinking, but uh, we have motivated students uh, to mathematics for decades and we've, we've had this fun maths culture you can google fun maths and, and you can see like millions and billions of different activities and tasks uh, using uh, I've had examples of like or given examples of like uh, like basketball, basketball throws or dolphins jumping and, and things like that and like they might be easier good examples of um uh, sort of like visualizing what a parabola is, but it's not that simple, and and we haven't achieved a lot. The latest large scale studies still show that students are not like at all, like or they are not like more motivated than they were like twenty years ago, even maybe less. So we haven't really solved this problem. But what I see, what I think personally, is that because we say that we want to make mathematics more fun and engaging. We also might think that this has been solved because I, as a teacher, I do appreciate fun mathematics and I do throw a few activities that have funny characters. Mm -hmm. And I do sometimes give like a, a funny problem solving, do sometimes like show a funny YouTube video. So that's all. But it's not. We still have students struggling because they are not, they they don't become interested just because they see like a funny joke every once in a while. Like let's say I don't I don't enjoy um fixing a car. So like no matter how many times I would see like a funny car advertisement or whatever, like it wouldn't help me. But if I actually learned something and I started to feel that I'm good at this and maybe I can even help somebody else and I can solve problems and now my car works better and like things like that. So that's the way of making it fun and engaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, useful. So it's like a it's it's way more complicated than just like a tiny little thing of like a yeah, putting like a label of yeah, this is fun maths. 
Okay. So then with your uh, program, your Math Hunger book, and then your excellent, very excellent website, where I will link everything at the bottom of this chat, teachers can go there and they can start participating in what exactly? Like the solution to what you're talking about, but can you explain what's expected of them? And I really want to emphasise and point out that you have said this a couple of times to me personally as well, that you're not trying to create more work for teachers. It's not another thing to learn and another thing to study late at night before you step into the classroom because both of us as teachers recognise that, you know, we don't need more. <laughs> but how? what is it that they're going to get? What value will they get from following the stuff that you do and by the way your Instagram page is excellent which I'll also link at the bottom of this chat um, so that's a very easy way to um, go and see what you're doing but please tell us more about your website and what you're offering. So um maybe two answers to that like how does this all work and why we are not asking teachers to do more in Instagram, I am posting the mathematics that I see all around me all the time because I see it everywhere. I can see that in my heater. I can see combinatorics when I'm like preparing my breakfast. I can see geometry when I'm um, like, I don't know, decorating my house. And usually there are also really surprising factors, like surprising mathematics and surprising connections. So I really encourage everybody to see that because you can actually help your students to see those connections in their everyday lives in a way that I haven't seen anybody else. Um, showing or maybe like finding those connections. Um, so that's more of an inspiration for everybody. Then in Maps for Humans webpage, I have tried to make it like super simple. Uh, you can just entertain this idea, start getting like, start make, making more people aware of the yeah, importance of these things. And you can also start practicing these like monthly lessons. And we do have a blog in Maths for Humans where I post at least maybe like twice a month an activity that you can as such use with your students. They are not traditional. They are not like uh, do this and then this and then that. But they give you enough. And if you as a teacher and we were, we were uh, talking about like not putting like more work on teachers' shoulders. So if you just allow that one lesson to be more open and not prepare that much and not stress too much about it. And also uh, trust our research findings that show that you do still get all the content through because you are getting more motivated students. So you are not losing any time. It's only eight lessons per year. So it's it's a tiny proportion. So for those lessons, you can also you know, sit back and relax and you learn how to facilitate and so on. And we give uh, some you know teacher skill information in those blog posts as well. So you can use those posts and the ideas that we post them as a um, as a resource, resource for those monthly lessons. Hopefully in the future, there will always be like slide decks and everything, but I, like we are a small team, so we haven't been able to do everything at once. And if you want even more, then we have Math Hunger program that is all inclusive, that is like a full package. And all the other things are like available for everybody. They are free, like just share it, use it as much as you like. Uh, the Math Hunger is an actual like a yeah, like a program that we sell for schools. Okay, wow, what wonderful offerings. And I also really appreciate the way that your blog, which I subscribe to, as you uh, describe, it's not traditional, but it also encourages and calls on teachers and educators to look at education in perhaps a non-traditional way and see what can come of it. And that's one of the main things actually I've learned 
being here in Finland, like finding what can I take from this without being spoon-fed step-by-step instructions. So the way you present that information in your blog is excellent, but, of course, you have all the research behind it as well. So that's really, you know, a win-win situation, but a really lovely combination, I think. Um, So, yes, sorry, your website is Maths for Humans, and like I said, I will uh, put it in below this chat and of course you have a wonderful paid program on there and I encourage people to have a look at that and you know use it in their school and see what they can do with it so thank you for that great very very democratic offerings for everybody um, all part of your yeah thank you Um, okay so let's wrap up this chat with a final question and I ask it of everybody that um you know, joins me on the podcast, and that is if you could wave a magic wand uh, and change something about the Finnish education system, because after all, this is about Finnish education perspectives. And anyway, if you've noticed something in Australia that might be fun to mention, please go ahead and do so. But what would you change about the Finnish education system? Okay, um, well, at the moment, I do have some opinions about the Australian system as well, but let's not go into that, uh, but focus on the Finnish system, because now I can also see lots of the uh, the perks of the Finnish system in a different way through, you know, new lenses. Uh, so, like, what I maybe just... To start with, I appreciate those teachers that we have. Like the teachers are so independent and they are really open-minded to start, you know, testing and trialing and practicing new skills and all that. So, and it's really easy. The the school system, the education system, is just so flexible and so, uh, I don't know. It gives so much. Um, Uh, choices and options to teachers so that's amazing and also students I think in Finland are pretty open-minded as well so like it's really different from (laughs) what I've seen here in in New South Wales Uh, but that being said like there is like lots of really systematic uh, ways of dealing with things here in in New South Wales and I, I would say maybe throughout Australia so that's something that I watch somehow combined the year it's like I don't know if they are a little bit confronting but like in Finnish system we don't really have like a really systematic professional development uh, programs or plans and those kind of things so that's one thing that is like certainly missing it's really like a wild west and it's really up to teachers and up to you know uh, individual schools whatever that might have, you know mean to them so that's something that definitely and I'm not alone. Like I'm not the only one that is like has been talking about this. Uh, maybe that's the uh, the one thing that I'd like to mention. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, better better professional development and systems in place for that. So yes, that's something that is yeah a, a, something people are quite silent about here and very much needed. So. Excellent. And I'll have to get you on here next time to talk about the Australian system and we could probably share a few notes about that sometime in the future, Laura. Oh, okay. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Listen, thank you very much for making the time during these busy times. I really appreciate you being here and I appreciate the work you do. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And maybe I can finish by saying that if ever uh, you try whatever new and you might feel a little bit like uncomfortable or uncertain, like is this really like the best way of going? But please remember that if you want to change something, we need to do something differently. Love it. 
great way to finish. If we need to change something, we need to do something differently. Thank you very much, Dr. Laura. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you so much for listening in with us today. I hope you found something practical to use from this conversation or had a new insight to keep your brain active. If you would like to learn more about Eduten, please check us out at eduten.com. There you'll find a ton of information about this scientifically based platform that makes meaningful change in students' lives. If this podcast resonates with you, please share it and leave a positive review below. Help us spread Finnish education perspectives far and wide. Of all the things you could be doing, you're right here. So thank you. Until next time, take care and stay curious.